Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11 if you're not already there. Father, we come before you this morning to feast upon your good word. We've already heard about the the blessings of the scriptures in Psalm 119, and, and we celebrate this every week, not because we're in love with a, a book or a philosophy, but because we love you, because you are our God, and because your scripture is what you say to us. It's not merely what you have said in the past. It is what you are saying right now. And so we come before you this morning to hear you, to see what your word says, to hear your voice in it, to be taught, to be strengthened in our faith. And we thank you for this time in Jesus' holy name. Amen. It's been said that the Bible is, is not a book that people would write, even if they could write it. And that's because of the, the doctrines that we find in Scripture. It's, beca- it's because of the way God is described and the way we are described in, in our neediness and in our glory as human beings who are created in the image of God. We find rebukes there for things we don't really think we should be rebuked for, we find strength there for things that we think we shouldn't need strength for. The Bible often speaks in what are called paradoxes. A, a paradox is a something that seems to be one way but is actually another way. And that's what we see this morning in the, the, the passage before us, we're in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16. And as the, the sermon title you can see says, this is about people who are exiles in the promised land. They're not exiles from the promised land. They're exiles in the promised land. So far in Hebrews 11, in the first 12 verses, we've, we've read about five people whose faith in God is an example to us today. Abel's faith teaches us how to approach God. We approach God in faith, and we approach God in humility, and we approach God with the sacrifice that he requires. For you and I, that means that we approach him in the name of Jesus Christ, according to his blood shed on the cross. Not according to our good works, not according to our good intentions, or what we want or what we think, but according to who Jesus is. Enoch's faith teaches us how we ought to live. We ought to walk with God. We shouldn't just give him a wave when we go past his house, but we should live with him as the constant reality of our lives. It's it's as though God is the compass that shows us the way home and that guides everything that we do. Noah's faith teaches us how we ought to live in relation with to the world. The wickedness of Noah's time, the violence of Noah's time was extraordinary. It was so great that God brought judgment upon the earth. It's not all that different from our time. The reason God doesn't bring judgment upon the earth today is not that we don't deserve it, but he has promised not to bring any more temporal judgments upon all of mankind. There is a single judgment yet to come. 
Noah teaches us to live in faith and righteousness in spite of that surrounding world. Abraham's faith teaches us how we ought to respond to the word of God. He responded with faith and with obedience. He believed the Lord and he acted upon what God told him to do. And Sarah's faith, precious Sarah, teaches us how to trust the promises of God. We, we don't trust the promises of God themselves. We don't put our faith in the promises of God. We put our faith in the faithfulness of God himself. It's not that we believe God or trust God for this thing or for that outcome, but that we trust the person of God and we trust the power of God and we trust the character of God. Their stories are very different, but the writer of Hebrews takes a few verses here that we're going to look at this morning to provide a a little bit of a summary as he goes before he returns to Abraham. And so we're going to see some truths about their faith that should be true about our faith as well. We're going to read verses 13 through 16. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them, And having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. Let's, let's talk about their faith. First thing that we see is that faith doesn't keep track of the time. How do we know that faith doesn't keep track of the time? It's, it's the first statement in verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. Anybody who dies in faith, I want you to think about this. Anybody who dies in faith lives the rest of their life believing. Anybody who dies in faith lives the rest of their life trusting in Jesus Christ. Trusting in the Father, trusting in the Son, trusting in the Spirit. doesn't matter how much time you have left. You can live as a Christian the rest of your time in faith. But they, they die without receiving the promises because God is not bound to their earthly calendar. God isn't keeping track of the time. It's not that any one of these people, and Noah lived uh, 950 years, Enoch lived 365 years before the Lord took him. We don't know how, how few years Abel had, but not very many. Abraham lived 175 years. Uh, Sarah lived 127 years. There's no indication in Scripture that as their time drew, drew to an end, that they began panicking that they hadn't yet received the promises of God. There was no difference for them. If there was a difference, it's that their faith grew as they got older. Now, for some... The only purpose of faith is to get what they can out of God as quickly as they can. And in fact, they'll say the stronger your faith is, the faster you get the result. Well, these people say that that's not true. Their lives say that that's not true. Their lives say that genuine faith doesn't grow disillusioned 
as time passes, it grows stronger. The promises of God, as we've seen in this passage, as we see in verse 10, where they're, they're looking for a city which has foundations, who's architect and builder and God, the promises of God can't be fulfilled here. But let's just put that out there. The promises of God cannot be fulfilled on earth because earth is not big enough to hold them. Romans chapter 8 says, as a Christian, you are an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. Being an heir of God means that you receive what God has. Not that God is going to die. He's not going to die. But as an heir, you receive what he has. But, you know, there's, there's different levels of, of inheritance. There's different levels of inheritance. And even in our time, people in, named in wills will, will receive different amounts, small amounts, big amounts. If you're talking about a huge estate, sometimes there's a huge difference in there. So, as a, as a matter of fact, as a matter of the record, you as a Christian are an heir of God. What does that mean in terms of what you actually receive? You are a co-heir with Christ. That means you receive what Christ receives. The earth can't hold what Christ receives. It's not big enough to hold it. It's not strong enough to carry the weight of it. Maybe this is why there has to be a new heavens and a new earth so that there can be something that can hold the promises of God that have been made to us. We learn the lesson of the hymn. See, as we move toward eternity, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. That's something that becomes more real to me with each decade of my life. And I think for some of you who are further ahead of me, you see that even in a more precious way. You've got your back to the world and your face toward heaven. And you're not living according to your own calendar. Faith doesn't keep track of the time. Eve didn't understand that. The serpent promised her instant results, and that's what she demanded. And because of that, she became vulnerable to temptation and deception. I praise God that these men and women named here, and the, and the others in Hebrews 11, and the others in Scripture, and so many people that I know today live with a different reality, that God is not obligated to track our time. The second thing that we see is that faith sees the promises of God. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them. That doesn't mean that they received the promises. We've just been told they didn't. It means that they understood what God intended. The promises of God were not some dark mystery to them. As though the things of earth can be defined and measured and calculated and weighed, but what do we get with God? Who knows? Don't know. We do know he's made it clear to us in his word. He made it clear to them somehow without his word. We don't know if that was through direct revelation to them. It could have been. We, we don't know if it was just through the teaching that they had. Remember, Adam and Eve didn't lose their memories when they had to leave the garden. 
their offspring, their descendants were raised with their stories of who God is and what God had done and what God had promised them and what God had intended. I think that people then, I think that believers then, in a sense, had a greater sense of who God was than today because they were so close to creation. But we do know how God reveals his, his promises today. He reveals them through Scripture. You're not dependent on hearing some mysterious voice in the night. You're not dependent on me hearing from God and then accurately giving it to you. You have the right and the privilege of holding his word in your hand. If you've ever thought to yourself, I wish I could be like Paul. I wish I could be like Abraham. I wish I could be like Isaiah. And here, you can. You can hear more than any of them heard you can hear more than any of them heard except the except the apostle john you can hear exactly what he heard because he had the whole scripture and then he fulfilled he finished it he finished the canon but the rest is in your hand the word of god is as living and active as god is so it speaks with the same power and authority Peter says this about the promises, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance, look at this, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It's imperishable. That means it's eternal. It's undefiled, which means it can't be polluted. It's unfading, which means in a trillion years, the promises of God will be as strong and powerful and rich as they were the moment that he made them. And where are they? They're reserved in heaven. They're not received on earth. They're reserved in heaven. For you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. <clears throat> These men and women understood this. They understood that the promises of God were imperishable, perishable, undefiled, unfading, and reserved in heaven. They died with that faith. They died in faith without receiving the promises because the promises were yet to be given. Faith sees the promises of God that will only be fulfilled in eternity and gladly waits for the Lord to fulfill that. We, we see that faith welcomes the promises of God. It welcomed them, it says, from a distance. It embraced them from a distance. It prefers the promises of God to the things of the world. It counts that, that because God himself has promised, because his, his person has promised them, because he has the power to do what he pleases, and because of his character and he cannot lie, his promise to you is already yours. There, there, there's no doubt that he will fulfill his promise to you. None. None whatsoever. You can say today, what God has promised to me is as good as mine. It is simply reserved in heaven, and it is waiting for me when I get there. Think about the things that people endure for such a small reward. Most of us in this country live paycheck to paycheck. What that means is we work two weeks, 
to get a paycheck that will pay for the next two weeks while we work for the next paycheck. That's where most people in this country are. They spend two weeks of their life to be able to live the next two weeks. The promises of God are not this way. The promises of God are far beyond counting. There are no numbers large enough to count them. And faith welcomes those promises as it turns its back on the things of the earth and says those things need to grow dim. Those things have ceased to have significance. And what happens when we, when we reject God's eternal, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, reserved in heaven promises? What happens when we say, I don't want it then, I want it now? We become like Eve. We become vulnerable to temptation. That's exactly what's underneath all of the temptations, all three of the temptations that Satan brought before the Lord Jesus in the wilderness. You remember there were three temptations in chapter 4. If you are the Son of God, Jesus was hungry. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Eat now. And Jesus says no. The devil took him into the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle and said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Make God prove his love for you now. And Jesus says no. And then Satan took Jesus to a high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he said, these you can have now if you'll worship me. And Jesus said no. If only we could realize that the vast majority of temptation has to do with having something now rather than being willing to wait. There's a church in California that blows gold dust out of ceiling vents and tells their people it's glory, or not gold dust, it's glitter, tells their people it's glory dust from heaven. You're so close to heaven that the dust from heaven, it's like, First of all, why wouldn't God keep heaven cleaner than to have dust everywhere? Thousands of people flood into that church every week because they are so determined to have it now that they've bought into a false gospel. They become vulnerable. Biblical faith is patient. It embraces the promises of God. It welcomes them. It says, those are mine. God has given them to me, and I'm willing to wait. I'm happy to wait until he brings the fulfillment to me. And in the meantime, I'll live in faith. I'll live in obedience. I'll live for him. We also see that faith confesses that it doesn't belong here. That's a strange thing to say, but look what it says. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. The word stranger means somebody not from here, a foreigner. The word exile means somebody living here who should be living somewhere else. If you're a Christian, you're a stranger and an exile here. If you're born again in Jesus Christ, this world is not your home. You're a foreigner. You're living in a strange land. You're just here temporarily. 
This isn't the natural state of things. This is only true if you've been born again. Those who are not saved, those who are not Christ, are born into this world. They belong here. This world makes sense to them. This world holds everything that they want. We're not born naturally into the kingdom of God. We have to be born again into the kingdom of God. And when that happens, we become citizens of the kingdom of God under his rules first. And only then under the rules of whatever nation or uh, uh, jurisdiction that we're living in. Waiting for his return, waiting for him to come to us. Understanding this and living this way isn't, isn't automatic. Because we're born into the natural world as it is, when we're saved, we bring much of that with us. And we try and figure out how to save that too. Without recognizing we have been saved away from that. We have been saved out of that. But these folks were happy to confess that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They were, happy to fa- they were happy to confess, we don't belong here. This is not where we are from. Look at what this says in verse 14. Those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Because the country in which they live, the nation, the city, the culture is not theirs. And indeed, if they'd been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But, as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Verse 10 says that's the city whose architect and builder is God. That This is not any country or city you can find on the face of the earth. If it was, if it was here, if it was on the earth, we could go there. We could be done with all the waiting. We could just go there and say, now this is my place. Now I'm home. We're not yet home. We want a better country. We want a heavenly country. Now this doesn't mean that we have no hope in this world. It means that our hope in this world is centered in the next world. And that we hold the things we have here loosely. If you're in Christ, this world has nothing that you actually want. That's another lesson that took me a long time to learn. I was saved at 17. And it took me years to realize that this world really doesn't have anything I want. How do I know that that's true? Because nothing of it lasts because nothing of it is actually mine, because nothing of it actually satisfies my soul and makes me so content that I don't want anything else? Maybe you've kind of played that game in your head where you've said, boy, if I could just have that, that that would make me content. No, it doesn't. Even if the thing that you got was perfect and flawless imperishable, undefiled, unfading, you'd get bored with it. But the truth is nothing that we get on this world is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. The most precious person on the face of this earth is my wife, but she will tell you she's not imperishable. 
She will tell you she's not undefiled. That there's sin that remains in her life. She will tell you she's not unfading. She doesn't have the strength and endurance that she once had. Nothing is going to last here. Nothing will last here. If our faith is truly biblical faith, then we're going to find that what we have here doesn't truly satisfy us. Because what we want is Jesus. What we want is eternity. We want heaven. We want holiness. We want freedom from sin. We know that we can't find any of those things here. And so rather than settling for a cheap imitation like gold glitter from ceiling vents, we say, no, Lord, I, am, I prefer to wait. I'm okay waiting. Because this tiny little time that we wait can't begin to compare with what's to be revealed. This momentary light affliction, 1 Corinthians says, can't be compared to the eternal weight of glory that is to be revealed. What's God's attitude toward these people? He's he's not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Why is he not ashamed to be called their God? Because they're good. Because they're always holy. Because they're super believers. Because they never make a mistake. And He's not ashamed to be called their God because they trusted him. Because when he said, what I'm offering you, what I give you in Christ, is, is far beyond anything that you could ever have here And we say, I believe you. I believe you. I'll do what I can here. I'll live as I'm I'm able to live here. I'll live according to the providence of God and what he's enabled me to do. But I'll hold all of that loosely. I'll even hold myself loosely. My dad died of Alzheimer's. Every one of his siblings died of either Alzheimer's or dementia. I've told Linda, it's not looking good for you. I can't even hold on to me. There may be a time when my mind will betray me. I can't even hold on to me. But see, he's made me a promise. And so everything else can go including my mind, including my abilities, including my strength, including any self-confidence that I have, including any talents that I have. It can all go because I am a co-heir with Christ, not because I'm wonderful, but because God has promised. So we think about bringing this home. Let me just ask, where is your faith and hope this morning? Is it your greatest faith and hope and desire to be satisfied here, to be content here, to find a reason in this world to get up every day and to do what you do. If that's the case, you're going to be terribly disappointed. My prayer is that your eyes are fixed on the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the promises that God has made to us in in Scripture. And let me say this, it's not that God says, 
you can have gold someday, and the world says you can have silver now. It's that God says, I've prepared for you a city where the streets are made out of gold, where gold is like asphalt, where gold is so common that you see it everywhere. I've prepared that city for you, and you are my heir and a co-heir in Christ. And God says, that's what I've given you. And the world says, here, have a bag of mud. And it's not even enough mud to last a day. I don't know how you use mud yourself, but it's not even enough mud to get you through the day. God says, eternity is out there and you inherit everything that I have and the world says, here's some mud. That's the comparison. That's the comparison. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit to see that what the world offers is just mud or worse. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit to see that what God offers is beyond gold. And so Jude says, but you, beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. I'm hoping you're discontent. I'm hoping you're dissatisfied. I'm hoping that you recognize that the world is not going to scratch the itch for you. That if you're truly in Jesus Christ, that what you long for is yet out in front of you. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, reserved in heaven. Father, we thank you for the love that you have given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the purity of your word and for the authority of it. We thank you for the testimony of these men and women who were like us who faced disappointments and faced life every day, who lived in a world very much like ours, filled with temptation and weakness, filled with all of the things that dissatisfy us and that let us down. The promises that you have made to us in Christ are not things that we earn they're not things that we deserve they're promises of your grace your word teaches us and and life itself teaches us that there's nothing we have that can't be taken from us in this world would you teach us and show us how increasingly day by day how to long for what you have promised We thank you in the precious name 